Mark chapter 1, please. Mark chapter 1. Come in, Neil, Phyllis. Mark chapter 1. Glenda Short. Glenda Short. Um, Sister Joyce Fuller knows more about that than she said she would try to bring us up to date here in a little while. Glenda Short. <clears throat> Mark chapter 1, 21. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So what, teach, what city is Jesus entering into at this time? Capernaum. And on what day of the week is it? Sabbath. Sabbath day. And where is it that he is going to do his teaching? Synagogue. A lot happened at Capernaum. Most regard Capernaum as Jesus' headquarters all throughout his, his Galilean ministry. When you look on your Bible maps and you find the Sea of Galilee, you look into the Northwest corner, be on your left, and you'll see Capernaum. And below that, not too far down from Capernaum, is, is Nazareth. So Jesus spent a lot of time, especially in the first part of his life here on earth, in the Galilean area. And he used Capernaum. A lot of things happened at Capernaum. I believe we read in Matthew eight fourteen to 17 that that's the place where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law of a serious fever. And several things happened there. And here is one of those things that happens uh, in Capernaum as well. As you think about that, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And looking down to verse uh, 12... Just to emphasize Capernaum here. Beginning in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. In the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that... Verse 14, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Now notice this from Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 that is applied to Jesus' work in, in Capernaum. Verse 15, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Indeed, it did. Those dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Without doubt, that is a direct reference to our Lord Jesus and his work here in this region. So 
So in Mark 1.21, Jesus is in Capernaum, and he enters a synagogue on the Sabbath day. He is still living under the Mosaic law, but also he is using this opportunity to teach people about the coming new covenant and the coming kingdom uh, that he and John talked quite a bit about. Okay, So Mark 1, uh, 21. Now Mark 1, 22. And they were astonished, the people there in the synagogue, they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as described. What do you think that means? What, what are some thoughts that come to your mind when it says Jesus taught with one who has authority and not as the scribes. Not as the scribes. Jesus was above everyone in his teaching. He knew what he was talking about, Mark says, and what wasn't just going through the motions. Okay. Uh, the scribes to teach the Jews uh, sat down. Mike is saying that, that the scribes would often pull out the scrolls in order to teach true, and Jesus would not need to do that. But he did use scrolls. Over in Luke 4, 16, he did pull out a scroll and read from that. I suppose the main thing is that, that a regular man, a regular teacher in this day and in our day, in order to support what he's saying, he would need to re- make references or quote from the Old Testament, quote from the law. We quote from God's word today in order to support uh, the teaching that we feel is being, being um, taught there in Scripture. But Jesus didn't have this need. Okay? Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. That's a good way of saying it. Ken's saying he's always taking this to say that when a regular person teaches, they're teaching about someone else, which is the Lord. But Jesus, as he teaches, he teaches everything is fulfilled in him. It's about, it's about him. And so we'll learn more about this authority as we move along here. But good point. And notice the people are astonished. subject, you can tell that they have that level of knowledge on the subject. 
it just comes across. And I just have to think, if it comes across in human relations, how much more would it come across when you're standing before the Word itself teaching you the Word itself? Yeah. It just, it, it's got to be a concept that we really have trouble understanding, even though it happens in our own relationships. Okay. The Word is Himself teaching the Word itself uh, to us. That's what Brother Aaron is saying. He's saying that even in human relationships, we know when someone is teaching with authority because they know the subject well. They've written about the subject. They live the subject every day. And so you can tell that they can speak with authority on it. Okay. I can stand up and speak to you all about baseball, Little League baseball. I lived it, breathed it, drank it. When I was little, I can still tell you all the ins and outs about baseball, but I couldn't stand up here and tell you about soccer, anything about soccer. Okay? I wouldn't know how to get to a soccer field. But that's, that's a good point. And Jesus elevates that very thought and it, because he it was behind everything in the Old Testament, and now here he is on earth teaching the very things that he's already wrote. And so um, that's, very, that's a good, good insight there. So Mark 1, 22, uh, they were astonished at his teaching. You might reference Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You'll find a similar statement, Matthew 7, 28 and 29. Matthew 7, 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and again, not as the scribes. I would hate to be compared to Jesus myself. The poor scribes are constantly being compared uh, to Jesus. But this just shows that, that many of the scribes were good teachers, but they didn't, um, they didn't compare to Jesus. Okay. So Matthew 1, uh, 22. Now Matthew 1, 23. Oh, Matthew. Did I say Matthew? Mark 1. We're back to Mark. Mark 1, 22 was where we was at. And in Mark 1, 23, there he is in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Okay. In the synagogue comes a man with an unclean spirit, a demon. A demon. Let's stop and consider that for a moment. There were several occasions in which Jesus cast out Demons. This is the first one. This is the first one. You might remember the time when Jesus dealt with a man of unclean spirit, and he, the man was living basically at a graveyard, and Jesus cast that demon out. And you remember the demon went in. Is that the occasion when it went into the pigs? It was. That's the occasion when it went into the pigs. Matthew 15. There was a time a lady came to Jesus. And uh, her daughter was vexed with an unclean spirit. And Jesus helped that lady and her family. Okay. And you remember the little boy was uh, after the, the occasion of the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, after that experience, uh, Jesus cast out a demon out of a little boy. There are several of these occasions, and you run into these quite often, probably at least seven of them. And so this is the first of those. This is the first miracle, I think, uh, in a synagogue. In a synagogue. 
think this is the first miracle. If you look at Mark chapter 3, you'll find another one. I think this is the time when Jesus, again, in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and there's a man there with a withered hand, and he heals the man of his withered hand. But this is the first miracle in a, in a synagogue. This is the first of a few occasions when a demon would speak uh, to Jesus. And um, you might check Mark 3, verse 11 uh, for another occasion. But uh, this demon that's going to speak to Jesus seems to be a head demon because he seems to speak for other demons. We'll get to that here in just a moment. But here's an unclean spirit coming uh, in the synagogue where Jesus is teaching, interrupts the entire uh, teaching process. Okay, so that's Mark 1, verse, uh, verse 23. Concerning uh, demons, we might stop and think about that we don't really know where demons come from. Uh, I always jump in my mind to Matthew twenty-five forty-one, where Jesus teaches that there's an eternal fire waiting for the devil and his angels, the devil and his angels. So in my mind, I just kind of parallel that and say, well, the, the, the devil's angels might be the same thing as these unclean spirits. But it doesn't really tell us where the unclean spirits come from, but we do know that it was temporary. It was a temporary experience that occurred during these biblical times. And it obviously showed um, the power of Jesus over Satan and the sat- satanic forces. Right. It took a miracle to cast out a demon. The miracles are no longer around, so neither are uh, the demons. But we enjoy reading about this, showing and learning about Jesus' power. Mark 1 23, now looking at verse 24, Mark 1, 24. Here's what the demon says. What have I to do with, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, did a demon ever speak incorrectly about Jesus? Every time a demon speaks about the Lord, it's right on target. See, the demon knows here. He knows he's evil. He knows there is a destruction coming. He knows there's punishment coming for him. As we mentioned, Matthew 25 and 41, this eternal fire is prepared for the unfaithful, but also for the devil and his angels. They know they're condemned. He knows he is deserving of this punishment. Are you come to destroy us at this time? Notice his speaking here. He refers to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth and also Jesus the Holy One of God. And so the demons know about the both aspects of Jesus. His humanity and his deity, his godhood. Jesus of Nazareth. Well, this is where Jesus was was raised. Jesus became flesh. He has a family, and he grew up there. The demons know that Jesus was human and divine. 
not only of Nazareth, but he is the Holy One of God. He is Jesus, the Savior. He is the Holy One. He's the Holy One of God. And so when the, when the demon here speaks, he speaks correct, correctly uh, about the Lord. So, he's the only one that can destroy him, and knowing that, he's scared. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point Mike makes, that the demons also know that Jesus is the judge. He is the one who will eventually render judgment uh, to, these, um, to these spirits. Okay. So Mark 1, uh, 24. Notice in Mark 1, 25, it says... Jesus rebuked the Spirit, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Notice this is not some sort of superstition. This is Jesus. He's, t- he's actually carrying on conversation with this demon. Okay? This is not fairy tale. This is something that happened real. Okay? He rebukes him. He listens to him. Then he speaks uh, to him. Okay? And then he will cast him out. Be silent. Be silent, Jesus says. Notice um, same chapter, verse 33, 34, Mark 1, 34, it says, He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus silenced the demon. Now, I wonder why he did that. Okay. So I think Mike is speaking toward this uh, in the right way because uh, Jesus didn't want his his uh, recognition, his identity based on testimony from the from the devil. <coughs> he had plenty of people, and we'll get to this in a little bit. He had plenty of people to testify for him, okay, to stand up for him and to and to give evidence about uh, concerning who he is and what he was doing. Ken takes the side road here. But he said, what Ken's saying is, he, Jesus wants people to know where his authority comes from. It doesn't come from Satan or anybody associated with Satan. And um, so, same thing uh, Ken says, just like parents and children, if the children are talking back, controlling the conversation, then who's in charge there? Who has the authority there? So, turn your Bibles to Matthew uh, 12 as we're thinking about this authority of our Lord. Matthew 12. This is, a, this is another occasion when Jesus would cast out a demon. 
It's in the paragraph between uh, verses 22 and 30 of Matthew uh, 12. Verse 28, Matthew 12, 28. Uh, the Lord says, If I by the Spirit of God cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's a clear ideal. That's the, that's the clear reason why Jesus dealt with these demons. Kingdom means rule, power, authority. He says, the reason I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, not by any power of Beelzebub or, or Satan. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then you will know, the world will know, that the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's a ruling authority. Okay. So, very good points, very good points. So, Mark chapter 1, uh, 24, as we make our way through this occasion. Jesus, Mark 1, 25, rebukes him saying, be silent and come out of him. He wanted no association with Satan whatsoever. Okay. Now Mark 1, 26 gives us the result of his command. It says there, the unclean spirit convulsing him, English Standard Version says this, and then cried out with a loud voice and said, and then it came out of him. Now Luke has an account of this same uh, occasion, Luke 4, uh, I think it's 41, 48, 47, but when Luke records this, he says no harm came to this fellow. In other words, when the spirit left him, then the fellow was okay. He, he didn't leave him blind or, or deaf or limping or any kind of issue, the fellow was, was in good shape when Jesus cast him out. And then verse 27, they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What is this? Mark 1, 27. A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So they, they could see right away that this was, this was no regular teacher. This was the power of God being shown. And Jesus also had the remarkable ability to teach with authority. And no wonder that prophecy from Isaiah 9 shows up there in Matthew 4. A great light dawned upon them. Jesus went right to work, when you think about it. When he got through battling Satan in the wilderness, he went right to Galilee, and he's in those synagogues. He's teaching. They're bringing the the sick to him, they're bringing the crippled to him, they're bringing those possessed with demons, and he is busy. He, he comes out of the gate working, fired up. A great light has, has come into this world of darkness. The people were astonished once again, not just by his teaching, but also by his power. Turn back with me to just kind of expand on, on these ideas. Turn back to Matthew uh, chapter 8. Matthew 8 is kind of parallel to Mark 1. So Mark 1, Matthew 8, and Luke 4 all speak toward the same events. Matthew 8, this is verse 14 to 17. He's just, he's, he's healing uh, Peter's mother-in-law. Matthew 8, 15. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. 
That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all those who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Here's another one. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. Now that's from Isaiah 53 verse 4. Kind of a weird thing there in Isaiah 53. We know Isaiah 53 prophesies about Jesus, and a lot of it is a prophecy about his death. You know, he bore our transgressions. He, he, uh, our, iniquity, our iniquity was laid upon him. Okay. But right there in Isaiah 53, verse 4, is a prophecy about the ministry of Jesus and, and how he brought relief to those who were sick and relief to those who were oppressed uh, by, by demons. It wouldn't surprise me at all that several of these scribes and those very familiar with the Old, Old Testament law and prophets would make this um, application from Isaiah 53. Alright. So Mark chapter 1, we just read through this occasion when he comes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And let's see one big lesson I want us to focus on. I want us to think about the widespread testimony for Jesus. I want you to think about this together. The testimony for Jesus was everywhere and from a lot of different sources. Okay. Here, is, here are demons on more than one occasion, at least three times. They testify that they know that Jesus is the Holy One of God, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. Think in your minds now. Let your mind wander through the life of Jesus for a few minutes. Think about the many different people from different places who came forth with their testimony for Jesus and spoke about Jesus or to Jesus or about Jesus that he is indeed the one. Who do you think about when, when you think about that? God did three times. Okay. He Lord. baptized, not in prefiguration, one other time. Okay. Remember that one. Yeah. So Mike's saying that the Father spoke from heaven, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So most definitely there at, at his baptism and also at the Mount of Transfiguration. All right. That's a good one. What else can you think of? When you think about widespread testimony for Jesus, who came forth and said, hey, this is he? I think about the centurion of the cross. Very good. Very good. I thought about that one too. Matthew 27, 54. Okay. Surely the centurion said, surely this, this man was, is the son of God. You have to just wonder about how this centurion came to that conclusion. And what did he know before he saw Jesus on that, on that weekend? What did he know before he, he um, saw Jesus crucified? But yes. Peter. Okay, Peter. What occasion are you talking about when you say Peter? So Peter's confession there in, in Matthew 16, also John 6, Peter said about Jesus, uh, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, John 6, 68. 
But he went on to say, John 6, 69, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's that phrase again. Holy One of God. Who else stepped forward and testified about Jesus? Let away Nicodemus did. And he said, no one can do the things that you do unless he's sent from God. Okay, Larry's saying, John 3, Nicodemus did because he said to Jesus, no one could do the signs you're doing except he come from God. All right? Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. Okay. Mary and Martha testified that Jesus is the resurrection. the resurrection. He told Mary and Martha that he's the resurrection and the life. And they believed him. They believed. That's a good point. Uh, John 11. Who else testified? Think about some unusual sources. Hmm? Woman to well. Now, this is an unusual source that uh, she would step forward, a Samaritan woman of all people, to step forward and uh, give testimony to Jesus. Uh, Aaron, while you're thinking about that, uh, read for us John 4.42. John 4.42. So not only did the woman testify about Jesus, but the other Samaritans that she inspired to come and see Jesus and hear him, they also testified that he is uh, the one. Anyone else come to your mind? Nathaniel. Nathaniel, yes. John chapter 1 came to Jesus. And um, if you look there in, in John 1, after Jesus told him uh, some things about his life, uh, John 1, 49, Nathaniel said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. John 1, 49. What about Saul, Saul? Saul? Okay. Saul, Saul. Okay. All right. Surely, yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. Thinking about trying to stay in the ministry time of Jesus on earth. But that's, that's a good one. Yeah. What about... What about what about Pilate? In what way did he testify that Jesus is the one? The sign that he put up. I've written what I've written. Yes, Pilate put sign top of the cross saying this is. Jesus, King of the Jews, and they try to get him to change it. He said, I've written what I've written. What other ways did Pilate testify toward Jesus? Yeah, several times. Several times. And um, just as an illustration of that, John 18, you recall, you recall John 18, uh, 38 Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no fault in him. I find no guilt in him. He said this several times. John 19, verse 4. 
Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. John 19, verse 6, he says it again. I find no guilt in him. Every account, whether it's Matthew or Luke, has these words. What about Pilate's wife? How does she testify? Nothing to do with this just man. That's what he just said. Okay. Have nothing to do with this just man. Have nothing to do. What what has she experienced? Dream. She had experienced a dream. Matthew twenty-seven, nineteen. And she said, "I've had this dream." She sent a message to Pilate. Have nothing to do with this just man. I always remember that phrase. People brought out, the world thinks he's just a man, but Pilate's wife testified that he is a just, he is the just man. In fact, the, the word before just or righteous there is an emphatic word. She's saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. Or it could even be translated, have nothing to do with the righteous one. She comes out in a very emphatic way uh, to declare. What about when Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem for the final time before the cross? Remember that? Who testified in his behalf there? All right, if you look at Matthew 21 and verse 9, as Jesus was headed into Jerusalem, the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then he comes on in. He goes to the temple. He cleanses out the temple. And then notice that in verse 14, the blind and the lame come to him in the temple. He heals them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, And then they also heard, of all things, the children crying in the temple. What are the children saying? Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said, do you not hear what these are saying? And then Jesus turned around and asked them a question. Have you never read Psalm 8? Out of the mouth of babes thou hast perfected praise. So testimony everywhere. That's, That's the idea I wanted us to see. Not just from the demons, but from outright enemies of the Lord, from Pilate and and Pilate's wife, even the Jews there in Matthew 12, they could not deny that Jesus had the power over over demons. They just tried to attribute it to Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And of course that was ridiculous when Jesus said, are you saying that Satan is casting out Satan? Testimonies everywhere, whether you're thinking about the wise men that came and said, where is he that's born king in the Jews? Whether, and you think about the angels that appeared to the shepherds. You think about the angel Gabriel that appeared to, to Mary. All of them testified that Jesus is the Son of God. The blind man in John 9 testified that people believed. Okay. The blind man that Jesus heals in John 9 he, he grows in his faith and he, and he does ultimately um, believe that Jesus is the one. So the blind man saw more than they could see with their own eyes. That's a good point. The blind man saw more than they could see with their own eyes. Okay. The sign of the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 verse 10. This 
Simon the sorcerer, Acts 8, verse 10. This man is the great power of God. But several different ones uh, stepped forward uh, to confess Jesus, whether they really uh, were sold on the plan of God or not. Many stepped forward to testify. But the ideal here is that our faith in the Lord is not a blind leap in the dark. Okay. There is plenty of testimony right here in this book. We don't need modern man's testimony. Modern man's current day testimony is worthless. Okay. But the testimony about Jesus in this book, that's where our faith is. So we need to lead others to this kind of, of strong faith. Faith built on something substance instead of somebody's experience or feelings. Okay. We got all the experiences and all the testimony right here in this book to believe in our Lord. Learn to believe in belief. Just have simple have simple faith in our Lord. Now, we're about here at the end of our time. Concerning this testimony, one of the great paragraphs that you can read on your own is John 5, 30 through 47, where Jesus talks about witnesses for him. Now, we said before, Jesus is, is um, the Lord, and so he can give testimony to himself. But he goes on to say there in John 5 that um, I know you want more testimony of me than just me. And so he names off. It's really just a really laid out, organized paragraph. He mentions first John the Baptist testified to him. And then like Mike said, he mentions the Father, the Heavenly Father speaking from uh, heaven itself. And then he um, mentions how the scriptures... The scriptures bear witness of him, John 5, 39. John 5, 36, he says, My works, the works that I do, like casting out demons and healing the sick and raising the dead and turning water, my works testify of me. And then he, he finally went back to the scripture. He said, If you believe Moses, you will believe me because he wrote of me. Okay. So John the Baptist, the Heavenly Father, the works that he did, the scriptures and Moses, all of those were witnesses for uh, Jesus. Jesus didn't talk about witnessing in order to win an argument. Take your Bibles and look there as we conclude. But it's so powerful. In John 5, 34, I I love what Jesus says here. John 5, 34, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. That's the reason we give testimony from the Bible, so that the person we are with or talking to, conversing with, that they can be saved. Not, we don't, we're not here to win arguments. 
not here to get people told. We want that person, whoever that is, to be saved. Notice it again here in John 5 and verse 40. I believe it's verse 40, yeah. Yet you, talking to the Jews, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See? That's why Jesus is giving this testimony. Because he wants them to have life. Okay? Not just continue to live on the earth. That's not what he's talking about. He's not having life. Life with God. Life in Christ. Spiritual life. Eventually eternal life. And that's what we want as well. That's why we talk about Jesus. That's why we go to him and look at his examples. Because we want people to be saved. Okay, thank you for walking through this first miracle of casting out demons here in the great city of Capernaum. Capernaum, however you say it. Thank you so much for your good comments. We'll take about a five-minute break.